really great to see you all here. As has uh, been mentioned, I'm Sean, and I'm uh, part of the leadership here at Harvest Church. As most of you now are aware, I'm sure, um, unless you're visiting for the first time, we are working our way very slowly through the book of Galatians, which is a letter in the New Testament that uh, Paul the Apostle wrote to a, the churches in a region of Galatia, which was probably, we, we understand to be in modern-day southern Turkey. Paul had established the church. He'd gone there and preached the good news of Jesus, the gospel to them, and many had received it. And uh, then, having established a church, he'd moved on, and other folk, they were called Judaizers. Now, basically, that means that they were Jewish Christians. They'd come from Jerusalem to the sea, maybe to check out the new churches, to visit, or even maybe to become part of. We don't know that, but actually, the, these Judaizers had come into this church, these churches in Galatia, and had started to teach a different message to the one that Paul had taught. They um, introduced or were trying to introduce uh, rules and regulations. So they were trying to introduce something of the uh, Jewish religion into the church, which was. Uh, taking away from the grace message that Paul had taught. And so this letter to the Galatians that uh, Paul has written is his uh, attempt to uh, respond to this false teaching of the Judaizers and to pull back where possible the uh, churches in Galatia from, uh, from abandoning the free grace, the, the the gospel that Paul had taught them and being caught up in rules and regulations, having their freedom taken away. And so we, over the last few weeks, uh, both Anthony and Andrew have uh, started to lead us through Galatians chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to be concentrating this morning predominantly on uh, Galatians 2 uh, verses six and seven, but I just wanted to read the first ten verses uh, from chapter two. So starting at uh, verse one, I have to apologize for the, uh, see on my bit of paper, it's all in just bold print, and it seems to have changed it all into a very, very squiggly print, which is unreadable. So I have to apologize. So I'm going to read it to you. Um, but yeah, that's supposed to be verse 1. Apologies. Okay. Then after 14 years, so this 14 years is probably 14 years after Paul's conversion, I went up again to Jerusalem. So in chapter 1, Paul had gone up, into, up to Jerusalem just for 15 days. And you can read about that in uh, chapter 1, but so hence again, 
I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and, meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. So, just to pick up on this, for those of you unsure, the uncircumcised were the non-Jews. They were the Gentiles. If you like the pagans, um, they followed other religions, the religions of Greece, Greek gods, Roman gods, whatever. So that is the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been sent to the circumcised. So this was the, the Jews, those who followed uh, the the. Uh, well, what we would now call the Old Testament. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John. Now, Cephas is another name for Peter. Why he uses both names, I don't know, but that is Peter. These, those esteemed as pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So, Paul is continuing his argument opposing the Judaizers. So you may, for those of you who heard me preach last time, I, I gave this uh, picture of Paul as a, uh, a barrister standing before in, the, in a court giving his arguments for, uh, for why the, his gospel was correct and why he had been called and uh, was, if you like, was entitled to share that gospel. So Paul is continuing to oppose uh, the false brothers, these Judaizers that had come in and were uh, wreaking havoc in the Galatian churches. So Paul was teaching a gospel of grace. So this was basically saying that uh, you are saved through Jesus Christ and him alone, that there are no rules, no laws, no requirements added to that. You can't do anything 
To save yourself, it is God and God alone. So after, uh, so it says that at the start of our passage, it says after 14 years, so this was 14 years after his conversion, he then spent uh, three years, it talks about being in uh, Syria, he'd probably been on his own, he'd spent time studying the scriptures, seeking God, uh, really grasping a hold of the message that Jesus had shared to him. So after 11 years of preaching the gospel, Paul is now is in Jerusalem. It would appear he hadn't been summoned there, but it, because it talks about, because of a revelation, so it would appear that God had called him to Jerusalem. But during his time there, Paul now goes to the apostles to, as it were, compare notes to share his gospel, to compare it with their gospel. So in, as well as comparing his gospel and sharing his gospel with the apostles, he's also comparing his gospel to that of the Judaizers as well. So he's saying, well, is what the Judaizers, what, where they're, what they're teaching, is that what you're teaching to the apostles? Or is it different, because it's certainly different to what I'm preaching. Now, Paul here is not concerned that he is wrong. He knows he is right. He knows the gospel he has is of God. But actually, what he's concerned about, whether the Judaizers were actually sharing the views of the apostles in a sense, he's going, well, I'm right. I want to know if you're right. He wants to know if what he's been revealing to the Gentile churches is in vain because it's going to be destroyed by incorrect teaching from the very top, potentially, from the, the apostles down through the Judaizers. All he has worked for in the Gentile churches could be in vain. Now, in our passage, Paul highlights Titus almost like a, uh, a test case. You notice that uh, Titus is uncircumcised. He is a Greek. He is a pagan, if you were. Um, and therefore, he was in direct contravention, if you like, of what the Judaizers were saying was right. And so, would the leaders of the Jerusalem church require Titus a non-circumcised believer to be circumcised or not. And we read, obviously, that he wasn't required. So that was, firstly, you know, Paul was saying, yeah, actually, we're agreeing on this point. The simple truth of the passage is that Paul and the other apostles are in agreement. Therefore, revealing the Judaizers as teaching a false gospel. Anyway, he talks about them as false believers who have infiltrated our ranks. They're, they're here to spy on our freedom. So this is all very straightforward, but what do we take from this? I'm just going to, I want to pray. 
Father God, I want to thank you for your gospel. I thank you that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ who died for us, who paid the penalty for our sin. Because of your great love for us, we were not left alone, but we have been called and added into your your family, Lord. And I pray that uh, as your word is, is just revealed this morning, that truth will sink deeper into our hearts. It will dynamically and actively change us and make us more like Jesus. Amen. So, as I mentioned, I wanted to concentrate predominantly on verses 6 and 7. And I will, I'll just read them again. So, verse 6. As for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Okay, so I want to uh, pick up on three points here. <laughs> okay, I'll know for next time. I will read them out. Three points. Okay, number one, it's not all about the leaders. Number two, the gospel. Nothing added. And number three, sharing the gospel in your sphere of influence. Are you changing that, David, to make it a bit more readable, possibly? Sorry, you can drop it off if you want for a little while and just take it down. Okay, so number one, it's not all about the leaders. Verse six starts, as for those who are held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Now at first, this can seem Paul is very anti the Jerusalem leaders. You know, that he's like, oh, I don't care anything about them. They're nothing. But actually, that's not what he's getting at here at all. The fact that he is there and willing to discuss means that he's giving honor to them. He recognizes them. But actually, where he's coming from here is that the Judaizers have been bigging up to the uh, Galatian churches. Well, if it's not from the Jerusalem leaders, then it's wrong. But we are from the Jerusalem leaders, so therefore we must be right. But what Paul's saying here is, no, no, it's not about who it comes from. It's about the message. Is the message right? Is it from God? So Paul is actually here pulling down, if you like, some of the argument of the Judaizers, saying that actually... It doesn't matter who the leaders are. God shows no favoritism. It's about the message. Paul is leveling the playing field here. It's about calling. It's about 
that gospel being correct and true. And that has just picked up through further in the, in the chapter as well, but you know, that whole thing of calling, and we will have a quick look at that later on. So what do we... Thank you. That's a lot better. <laughs> what do we take from this? Well, first and foremost, it is all about Jesus. He and he alone should be at the center. He and he alone is to be glorified, not the leaders. Jesus. Now, to bring it into context, for us maybe, especially those who know the, the church a bit better, you know, it's not about Andrew Lawrence, who is the lead elder here. It's not about Guy Miller, who oversees these churches. It's not about Nicky Gumbel, who uh, is the leader of Holy Trinity Brompton, the, the out, who have run the Alpha course. It's not about the Archbishop of Canterbury. It is about the message that each brings. If it is God's true message, that is the one we listen to. And we don't go, well, because I was taught by so-and-so, then I'm better than, than you, or I have more authority than you. No, it's the message. It's not about one-upmanship. It's not about an ace trumping a king. This is, for those of you who know Paul, this was where he'd come from. He, he introduces himself as someone who had been taught by Gamaliel, who was one of the uh, senior, one of the best uh, Jewish uh, rabbis. But actually now he's got to, he has realized it's not about who taught me. It's about the message from God that I'm sharing. So if, it's, if there are no favorites in God's family... Everyone should be involved in God's plan, not just the leaders. So, a couple of challenges here. Firstly, a challenge to leaders within the church. That could be any sphere of leadership. You need to release and encourage folk to serve, to be involved, to to be all that God is calling them to be. I had a very difficult relationship with my dad growing up, and uh, part of what I struggled with was he didn't release me to do things. So let me give you an example. I might be trying to saw a bit of wood, make a... Uh, make something out of wood, potentially. And when I might be struggling a little bit, instead of coming along and helping me, guiding me, uh, showing me, but then releasing me to do it, he would take over and do it. Now, he might have thought that that was good for me, but actually, it bound me up. I wasn't released, and I wasn't able to learn, make my own mistakes, and therefore improve. So, Also, 
In fact, instead, what we should be doing as leaders is following Jesus' example. You recall, as you read through the Gospels, Jesus taught the people. He healed the people. He was involved with people. He gave his time to people. And then he said to his disciples, right now, you go out and do the same. So as leaders, we should be encouraging others to be involved, to go out and do the same. In fact, we should be challenging others to do it. Jesus didn't just say, well, if you want to go and do it, you can. As he said, go. So as leaders, we should be encouraging folk we're leading to step out with the help of the Holy Spirit. And then the challenge to all of us, in a sense, even if you're not a leader, is this. Don't put leaders on a pedestal. Don't trample them underfoot, admittedly, but don't put leaders on a pedestal. We should ensure that their work is as easy as possible. And uh, we read this in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 12 to 13. It says this, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to encourage those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in their highest regard in love because of their work. So, So, yes, we shouldn't expect the leaders to do any, everything, but also it's just a case of, actually, yeah, don't expect the leaders to do everything. Get alongside them, help them, make their work easier, and don't elevate them, as it were. Well, the leader needs to do it because they're the best at it. Actually, get involved. Someone's been sticking my pages together. Okay, moving on to number two. The gospel, nothing added. So verse six, part B, Paul says this, they added nothing to my message. The Judaizers had added to the gospel message. They had been corrupting it. It was no longer by grace alone. Paul had preached and shared the one true gospel, the Jerusalem leaders agreed with him. Now it's interesting here, if we, we have to assume that in some sense the Jerusalem church was almost certainly living out some of the teaching of the Judaizers, not because they had added it to their gospel, but because it was already part of their Jewish lives and they hadn't been compelled to change it. So they were circumcised. There wasn't anything they could do about that, obviously. They were probably still uh, keeping the Sabbaths and eating the right foods. We know this because we pick it up through the, the uh, New Testament as to how Peter acted. So they, they in a sense, hadn't complete, you know, they, they, they still had the gospel but they still had some of the things of the Jewish past because it was part of their present. But the Judaizers were now taking this 
and adding it to the gospel. So they were encouraging the Galatian church to be circumcised. They were telling them they needed to keep holy days and special days, that they, they couldn't eat certain foods. They were, in effect, bringing rules and regulations which they felt would make the uh, Christians in Galatia I suppose, right, more right, if you like, how would you put it? That they justified before God that these rules and regulations would mean that they would be able to draw near to God in some better way. We'd but actually, Paul's gospel, the true gospel, and this is what we need to understand, it is salvation is by grace alone. It is God's free gift to us. It is undeserved. We've done nothing to deserve God's love. It is at Christ's expense. He paid the penalty so that we wouldn't have to. We cannot add to it. In fact, we mustn't add to it anything. You might say, well, obviously circumcision isn't something uh, of an issue now. You might say, well, we, we're not too bothered about foods. But actually, sometimes these rules, these regulations, these requirements can slip into our lives. Well, I must go and do that because I'm a Christian. Or we, we, need, we don't do anything because we must. Actually... The gospel tells us what we do is because of our love for God. It's because we're led by the Spirit to do it. Not ordered to, but led. It's because of our continued transformation of becoming more like Jesus that we outlive our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. Change in our lives comes through a relationship of love with God. It is not through rules or pressure to conform. And we need to grasp that whole truth, that gospel, the true gospel, and share it with everyone. Nothing added, nothing taken away, the one True gospel, God's love for us, demonstrated in Christ, shared to everyone. Which actually brings me on to number three, sharing the gospel in your sphere of influence. Now, verse seven says this, on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised just as Peter had been to the circumcised. <coughs> so Peter and the other leaders of the Jerusalem church had not been called to the Gentiles. They had been called to 
the Jews to... And frankly, they had enough on their plate just doing that. But Paul had been called to the uncircumcised. It's interesting that Paul had hated the Gentiles. He, he was a Jew. He didn't uh, associate in any way with non-Jews. And yet, when God called him, when Jesus revealed himself to him, he went. And what happened? God gave him a love for them. So where am I going with this? I think this is a, a, the real challenge, but a good challenge to all of us. It is to share the gospel, to reveal God's love, to be Christ in our sphere of influence. It is unique to us, after all. Whether it's your family, your spouse, your children, your parents, etc. Whether it's your friends, your neighbours, your work colleagues, your sports team, your whatever. But you notice the word that I'm using there. It's their your sphere, in your sphere. Nobody else's. Yes, some people will come in out of your sphere, but... It's your unique sphere. But maybe you're being called further afield, just like Paul was, called out of Jerusalem and to the ends of the known world at that time. It could be like uh, Kate, Kate Tolhurst, who uh, I believe in a few, month, a few weeks' time even will be going back to uh, Uganda. She has a calling to a different sphere, to... Share the love of Christ in Uganda. It may be that God is calling you elsewhere. It may be that where God is calling you, actually at the moment you don't really like those people. You're not sure if you could actually love them. But just as Paul demonstrates, shows it, reveals to us, actually where God calls us, he gives us the love for those people to serve them and to reveal his love. If you don't share the gospel in your sphere, who will? Now, just before you're feeling condemned, it's not all about being a great preacher or evangelist. It's about demonstrating God's love. It's about treating others as Jesus would. Your actions speak far louder than words. We need to demonstrate the gospel in our sphere. That may be that you're helping your neighbour or at work you're I don't know, maybe you do more than your fair share of getting in the teas and coffees in. But actually, it's showing 
God's love for those around you is the best way of sharing the gospel. But also what we can do is ask God for opportunities and a boldness to take them. So, in conclusion then, is this going to, yeah, slightly small, I'm afraid, I'll try to get it on one page, but at least it's legible. So, in conclusion, leaders, don't do it all. Encourage others. Actually, as part of your, part of being a leader, you should be encouraging others to get involved. Don't leave it all to the leaders, saying, well, they're in charge, or they're being paid for it, or whatever. Actually, get involved. Help them out. Understand the gospel of grace. Reject legalism, any rules and regulations, and seek to be more like Jesus. Be active in sharing the gospel in your sphere of influence, whether that is through words or through deeds. Be Jesus to all you meet. I'm just going to end in, by praying. I want to pray particularly for, uh, for our witness. It may be that you have listened and thought, actually, I am sharing the gospel. I am demonstrating Christ's love. And I say, amen. Thank you. That's brilliant. Keep it up. But actually, you might be thinking, well, I've not been very good at it. There's a lot more I could do. Maybe you felt challenged by the Holy Spirit over sharing your faith. As I say, whether through words or through deeds. Now, I think that's, I really particularly want to pray for, for folk who have felt challenged this morning. And if you know that, I just ask that you would acknowledge that in your heart to God. That yes, I need to change. I love to be changed in that area. And if you particularly want to be prayed for, you could, at the end, you could speak to a friend or come down to the front and ask to be prayed for, whatever. But uh, actually, deal with it. You know, it's good to deal with these things when we're challenged about them. Father, I thank you for incredible love demonstrated on a cross, paying the penalty for our sin, that we might be saved through grace. I thank you that we can't earn it. You just love us. Thank you that we're part of your family, having accepted Jesus as Lord. And I, I just pray for everyone here that they would comprehend more fully what this wonderful, incredible 
gospel of grace is all about. Where there is, where there, there may, maybe folk are caught up in rules or regulations or a, I have to do this or I have to do that. I pray, Lord, that that would be broken and that there would be a freedom in all our lives. And I pray, Lord, especially that we would be your witnesses to wherever you have called us, that we would demonstrate and reveal Christ to everyone. I pray, Lord, for opportunities and a, a boldness to take them, whereby we are able to see many, many added into your family, receiving Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Amen. Uh,